Good morning, guys. We're in a series. We're actually wrapping up a little mini-series today we're calling Transformed, and we've been talking now for three weeks about this little tiny book in the New Testament that quite often is overlooked called Philemon, uh, Philemon, however you want to say that name, lots of ways to say it. Bottom line, it's a story of transformation of a man by the name of Onesimus. So let's review for those of you that have been here, kind of bring everybody up to speed if you haven't been able to come. Who was the author of the little book called Philemon? 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 Philemon, who was it? The Apostle Paul. Where did he write from? From prison, from the house arrest in Rome. Who did he write it to? It's the name of the book, by the way, in case you don't know that one, okay? <laughs> Philemon. And who's it about? It's about a guy's name, Onesimus, who was a slave. And slavery is a horrible thing, but it was a reality in those days, as it is now in many parts of the world, unfortunately. But anyway, as a slave, he ran away. He stole a bunch of stuff before he left. He wound up in Rome at Paul's place, because even though he was under house arrest and under 24-hour guard, he still could receive guests and visitors. And, And Onesimus was one of them. And Paul led him to the Lord and eventually led him to that place to understand that while you got a fresh start in Jesus Christ, you brought the baggage of your past life with you. And so in order to become everything that God made you to be, you're going to have to deal with some of that junk. You're just going to have to process through some of that stuff and get some resolution to it. And so that's what we've been doing for these, uh, these three weeks as we get ready for the fall series and exciting things that God's going to do. This fall, first week, we captured two simple lessons from the life of Onesimus. Lesson number one simply is you can't deny your problems and get past them. You have to face them. And then you have to start focusing on the future, not the past. And that sounds so simple and logical, and yet so many of us uh, struggle to get there. So many people that I've dealt with in my own life, there are times when when I'm so busy looking in the rearview mirror, I have no idea what's in the windshield. I'm so stuck in something that happened, uh, I can't look forward to what's going to happen. Is anybody with me? Am I the only one? That just happens. And and but for transformation to happen, you gotta quit that. You learn from the past, not saying ignore it, forget it, but you deal with it, and then you start focusing forward to the future. Last week we talked about getting God's perspective on the process or the journey that you're in. I made the statement that when you get God's perspective, everything changes, even though nothing changed. Because it's not about circumstances. It's about your perspective on those circumstances. I ran across a quote not too long ago from Corey Ten Boom. Some of you know that name. Some of you don't perhaps, but here's what she wrote. Every experience God gives us Every person he puts in our lives is the perfect preparation for the future only he can see. Now understand, for those of you who don't know her, this is written by a woman whose family sheltered Jews during World War II who wound up in, uh, in, in a concentration camp and survived the Holocaust but watched her sister go into a gas chamber. This is a lady who understood that God works everything, no matter how, how good or bad, into a pattern for good and uses every relationship we ever have in our lives in order to fulfill this incredible plan for us if we just love him back because he loved us first. Today, we're going to wrap this series up, and, and we need to shift gears. I need you to shift your mentality now because we're not talking about your transformation anymore. We're not talking about my transformation anymore. Now we're talking about how are we going to leverage the transformation that God is taking us through 
to help the people in our lives who need help being transformed. So there's a point at which you have to get past the my need, I need, I need and say what are the needs around me or you just simply stop growing. You see, your willingness to get outside of yourself, your willingness to become unselfish in the blessings of your life, the experience of your life to begin to give those things away becomes either, again, the ceiling to your own growth or the launching pad to taking you to the next level. And so today I want to talk about not just transformation of the lives of an individual. I want to talk for a few minutes about you and I leaving a legacy of transformation in the lives of the people that we encounter uh, as we go through life. I believe ultimately that is the message of the little book of Philemon. It's not just about Paul helping Onesimus. It's actually about the legacy that the Apostle Paul has left, a legacy of transformed lives, and ultimately principles that will help us to leave a legacy like that uh, as well. Would that be a few, worth a few minutes of our time? To, to kind of talk about that. What does that look like? Where, where does that take us in our lives? Can I tell you just personally, and if you've been here long, you may have heard me say some of these things before. I think this is the great cry of the American church. This, this may be my soapbox. I don't know because I say it everywhere I get a forum to say it. Every platform I ever get somewhere along the way, I say, this is the cry of the American church. I remember coming along, and I'm old. I'm going to recognize that. Some of you remember coming along, and, and, and immediately, as soon as you gave yourself to Jesus, there was a spiritual mama or a spiritual daddy that slipped up beside you and said, let me go on this journey with you. Hey, I see something in you. That was going on in the church, but somewhere along the way, that kind of that process has, has kind of died away all too often. Huge need in the American church is this idea of people who understand part of their own journey to the transformed life, to the abundant life, to the fulfilling life that Jesus has is to get outside of ourselves and help the Onesimuses, easy for you to say, uh, in our lives. And of course, that's nothing new. It was a huge need in the first century too. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul wrote these words, For though you may have 10,000 teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Through the good news, I became your father in Christ Jesus, so I beg you, please follow my example. There's two key words in that passage I want you to pick up uh, and see. The word teacher is the Greek word pedagogos. That, anybody know the English word we get from pedagogos? It's on the screen. Pedagogy, or however you want to pronounce it, those of you that have training as a teacher, you know what pedagogy is. It's that idea of developing skills and knowledge in students. It's this idea of, of conveying information and knowledge, and, uh, and it's a critical part of our lives. Paul said you got lots of those. But what was, their, what was their dearth? What was the thing they didn't have? They didn't have enough moms and dads. The word father is the Greek word pater. We get the English word parent from it. So it's this idea of, of, of not just teaching, not just conveying information and skills, but actually conveying our lives, pouring our lives into somebody, sharing your life. One who infuses his spirit into the spirit of other people, somebody who stands in their place. Now hear me, Paul is not saying teachers are not important. Please don't hear me say that or Paul say that. In fact, most of you that are in this house who are teachers, and we've got a lot of them in public, private, homeschool situations, lots of bridge kids teachers and, and bridge group leaders. We've got a lot of teachers in this house. Thank God for every one of you. Most of you, I dare say, go way beyond just pedagogy. You're actually investing your lives in the people that you teach. Can I get an amen? Can we appreciate the teachers among us and all that they do? Amen. 
But Paul said, you've got 10,000 teachers and you're still a mess. I mean, this church was, you talk about a messed up place. This church <coughs> had immorality. They had, had family sexual dysfunction. They had broken families. I mean, this was a deeply sinful, deeply broken kind of group of people. And they had plenty of teachers. What they needed was some mamas and some daddies. What they needed was some men and women who had gone on their own journey of transformation and then in turn turned their attention to helping the young people that were coming through them, young in the Lord, not necessarily chronologically young, seeing their highest calling in life is not what do I need, but how can I give away what I found in Christ to other people. And that's ultimately what the story of Onesimus is all about. I think that's why Paul wrote to Philemon. I think it's why he got Philemon to, to look beyond what happened all the way to what could happen now that Onesimus was a brother in Christ. I think that's what Paul dedicated his whole life to. I mean, you look at his life, and, and, the, and there's a litany of sons, Timothy and Titus, and so many that he invested in. John Mark even having run into some conflict along the way. But still, at the end of his life, he says, send me John Mark, man. He's important to me. He poured his life into young people coming along. This idea that transformation is not just personal, it's about giving it away as well. And so the key verse in this whole series has been that verse 11 in this little one-chapter book. Let's read it together. Formally, come on, formally he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me formally, but now, say it with me, formally, but now, many of you identified in the first Sunday, I need a formally, but now experience with God. Many of us can identify many times over the years when we had a, this is who I was, but this is who I'm becoming. This is who I was, but God came on the scene. This is what was happening, but God has redeemed it. We've got a lot of those formally, but now experiences in our lives, and it's time to give them away. So in the few minutes I've got with you today, I simply want to, I want to pull out four lessons that Paul teaches us in this little book of Philemon and see if we can identify how we apply those lessons in our own lives as we become an army of moms and dads, fathers and sons, daughter, mothers and daughters as we invest in the generations that are coming behind us. Okay, four lessons. Let's just walk through them as quickly as I can. Here we go. Lesson number one is if you want to help other people transform, you've got to connect to the Father's, house for, Father's heart for you. The first step in this journey is personal, and it is about connecting to the Father's heart for you. There is nobody, hear me, there is nobody more desperately in love with you than the God of the universe. Nobody is more desperately in love. And knowing his heart for you changes everything in your life. But before you can help others to get that, you got to get that. And i got to be honest, guys, many of us grew up in environments where that wasn't accented. Kim often tells the story publicly from her own testimony. She was in her late 30s, having grown up in church, having given her life to Christ so young, she doesn't even remember the date of it. She, she could tell you all about her experiences with God, but she was in her late 30s before one day she realized, God actually loves me. She said, I, before that, I could have told you all the things I needed to do to avoid going to hell. 
but I didn't know I was loved by the God of the universe. And when she got that, when it washed over her, her whole countenance changed. Her personality began to change. Something began to change in Kim's life. She's watching online right now, no doubt, as she's still with the grandkids in Virginia. And I watched that transformation that took place simply because she got it. The God of the universe loves me. She had what I like to call a grace experience, not a knowledge one, a grace one, guys. You got to get that if you want to help other people. You got to get that one as the foundation. That's why Paul said so many times, follow me as I follow Christ. As I am in relationship with this God, I want you to watch that relationship. I want you to follow me on this journey. Why? Because we are not called to be mothers and fathers by any definition. We are called to be mothers and fathers by his definition. So the first lesson, really the bottom line, is you can't have the heart of a father until you have the heart of the father. Until his love for you washes over you and begins to define how you view yourself. And in case you're wondering what this heart is all about, Jesus told us a powerful story that illustrates it, makes it very, very clear. We often refer to it as the prodigal son's story. The young man, I won't go into a lot of detail, but the young man who decided he was smarter than his dad and he wanted his inheritance early. And so he, he went to dad and said, I, I need my money, I'm out of here. And his dad gave it to him and he left. And he went off and ruined it and wasted it and, and almost died. Wound up in a, in a pig pen eating the slop that the pigs ate and woke up and realized, man, I got a dad who loves me. What am I doing here? I got a dad who was a loving person. He may not take me back as a son, but, but I just go serve in his house. It would be better than this. So he gets up and he goes home. Luke chapter 15, verse 20 says, So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, which means he had to be scanning the horizon for him constantly. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. Dad didn't just hug him. He killed a cow and they had a party. <laughs> he took the family signet ring and put it on his finger, which was the family crest, and said, you're not just a servant here. You're a son in this house. You can carry the family name now. That's the father that illustrates the love of the father. He's not. A, hear me, guys. God is not the father who withholds his love because you mess up. I got a few amens over here. That ought to be a hallelujah moment. He's not the kind of God who stops loving you because you got it wrong once or twice or 97 times. He's not the kind of God who withholds his love because you took a path and he knows where that path is going to take you and it's breaking his heart to watch you go down that path. But he's, he's here scanning the horizon for you to come back to him. That's the love that I'm talking about. That's the kind of God that I'm talking about. That's the kind of God you got to know if you're going to help other people know him. Now, I'm pressing this point because it's huge because, hear me, guys, when you start parenting, many of you have parented in the natural already, <coughs> when you start parenting <coughs> and the pressure comes on, what comes out? Who you really are. And if you squeeze a toothpaste tube, what comes out? I don't know, the label says toothpaste, but you put pressure on it, what comes out is what is in there. If somebody put peanut butter in that toothpaste tube, guess what's coming out? Peanut butter. 
no matter what the label says. And so it's critical, guys, in the moments that we are parenting people, biologically or spiritually, that we got it, that we let the love of the Father so define who we are that that love conveys to the people that we're dealing with because ultimately, like Father, like Son, more is caught than taught. Remember, got plenty of teachers. We're not talking about teaching information. We're talking about sharing the essence of our lives. What more, what more important thing can we possibly do than to convey the love of the Father to somebody who's struggling to believe that it is so? Bottom line, i got to move on. If you take on the mantle of mother, father, spiritually, biologically, adoptively, by any methodology, you need to know that they're eventually going to take on your traits, good and bad. So make sure before you get too deep into this parenting thing that you connect with the heart of the father. Some of you, that's the only thing you needed to hear today. You can go to brunch now. Others of you, let's go. Second lesson. Then you got to believe in somebody. Well, you connect to the heart of the Father, and then you look around the horizon, and you look to find somebody that you can believe in. I'm going to read this little book of Philemon, and it becomes very, very clear that Paul was not just going through an exercise to help these two guys connect. He believed in Onesimus. There's no way he knew what Onesimus' future would be, but he knew what it could be. And he believed that he, if he invested in Onesimus, that that future could become a reality. That's, I think, why he said what he did in verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, Philemon, welcome him as you would welcome me. He's putting it all on the line for this guy, Onesimus. He believes in him. Now, now let's be clear, okay, let's bring it home. It would have been very easy when Paul and Onesimus first met. He's a runaway slave with a, with a, a warrant for his arrest with a potential sentence of death over his head, when he first meets, it would have been easy for Paul to have taken one look at Onesimus and thought, this kid ain't worth my time. I'm, he's uneducated. He's, he's a runaway slave. Odds are he won't even survive this thing. They're going to get him eventually. Dude, just go back face the music. I ain't got time for you. I've got more important things to look. I'm in the middle of writing the New Testament right now, okay? I've got more important things to do than to mess with the likes of you. And all the while Onesimus could well have thought, I'm not listening to this religious guy. He, he, don't, he don't know nothing. I mean, he grew up rich. He's a citizen of Rome and all the benefits of being a citizen. He's never been a slave. He doesn't know how it feels to be me. He doesn't know anything about me. I mean, he's this highfalutin educated guy. He doesn't know me. Why should I listen to him? I mean, those are the natural responses, right? When you meet somebody and there's a, a big divide between us, those are the natural human reactions. The question is, how do you avoid that? And their answer is, I don't know all the dynamics of it, but I do know that there are two things revealed in the letter. And I'll tell you now that both of them have to be true of you if you're going to be an effective spiritual mama or daddy for somebody coming along and facing transformation. If you want to have any hope of leaving a legacy of transformed lives, they've got to be true for you. Number one, first, you've got to be confident yourself in Christ, not just loved by Christ but in fact in healthy relationship with Christ. I mean, you read Paul's letters. Just read through any of the epistles, and you're going to see 
incredible confidence. Don't just read through what, what the scriptures are saying to you. Read through and try to pick up on Paul's personality. Pick up on Paul's journey as you do. I mean, this guy had a call on his life. He would go into a town or a city. He'd go down to the synagogue and start dialogues. They'd start preaching about Jesus. It, it, almost inevitably, somebody would get mad at him. They'd take him outside the city and stone him and leave him for dead. And he'd get up and brush himself off and go to the next town and preach some more. I mean, you talk about confidence. This is, this is one confident human being. I mean, even in his letter to Philemon, he writes in verse 8, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. I mean, confidence, man. Pastor Jim paraphrase, I know who I am. I know the spiritual authority that I have, but I'm confident enough. I don't need to throw that around. You, you see what's going on in Paul? This is, this is not an arrogance. This is just a confidence. You understand the difference? Understand that we're not talking about humanism. We're not talking about pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, kind of look in the mirror and say, I'm the captain of my own fate. <laughs> you can't even figure out where you're going for lunch today, and you're the captain of your own fate. Give me a break. I'm talking about confidence in who I am in Christ Jesus. I, I, Paul wasn't just a naturally confident person. He understood the source of his confidence. That's why he wrote to one of his sons, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1, 12, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. All I'm saying is before you can believe in others at a level that actually produces a legacy of transformation, you've got to believe in you. Not just based on who you are, but based on whose you are who you have a relationship with. And can I just segue from this for a moment and just, and just dare to be personal for a minute and say some of you don't have that confidence. Well, I'm not saying that you're not going to heaven. I'm not saying you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying that you haven't gotten saved. I'm not saying you're not faithful to church. I'm not saying any of that stuff. But you're not walking in that kind of confidence. And so we want to help you with that. This fall, in the fall semester, we're, we're offering a couple of groups that you might want to check into if that's who you are. Pastors Valerie and Mary Kay Best are going to be offering a, a, a group that's specifically designed for new believers, and it'll help you to lay on a foundation for your new life in Christ. And, and some of you, maybe you've been Christians 10, 15, 20 years, but nobody ever taught you those foundational truths, and that'd be a great group for you to be a part of. I'm going to be leading one on Wednesday nights that I'm simply calling Biblical Foundations for Life. It's not necessarily a new believers class, but it's, it's the basic doctrines of the faith. It's the, 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 the basic truths of the Bible that define how how we live and how we move and how we have our being. For some of you, you already know that stuff, but you don't necessarily have a biblical basis for it, and I want to give you that. Not just for you, but for the people that you're going to mentor so that when they ask questions, you can say, here's what the Bible says. My mentor was one of those guys that if I asked him a question, he not only had an answer, but he could point me to the Scriptures of where he got his answer. And that's what I want for all of us as well. And if those two groups aren't perfect for you, then we got a whole bunch of them. Go to the website. We've got women's groups and men's groups and co-ed groups and a whole range of topics. Go to the website, get into a group, and start developing your confidence in Christ because it's a part of leaving a legacy of transformed lives. So it begins with you believing in yourself in Christ, and then it moves to giving that confidence away. 
It moves to finding somebody that you can then invest in. The sad reality, forgive me if this sounds critical, but I think it's true. The sad reality is that churches across this great land are filled with people this morning who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. They're confident they're going to heaven. But when it comes to believing in others, forget about it. I especially see that from one generation to the next. It just drives me crazy when I see that too many in the older generation would rather complain about teenagers, the way they dress, the music they listen to, the way they talk, the way they text in church. You see them sitting in church texting. You did too. You just used a pencil and paper and passed it down the aisle and had to involve 27 people to get it to the person that you wanted to text to, and now it just goes straight. Boom. Ain't no difference. I asked him to marry me in church with a note, passed it down the aisle. I'm kidding, but I'm not. We'd been talking about it, and, uh, and those, February 15th was an important date in our own life, and I just simply wrote a note said February 15th is a Sunday. She'd been saying she wanted to get married on a Sunday, so I just passed that note down. She went. But instead of investing in teenagers, you'd rather whine about them, complain about them. I don't know what's going on with this generation. Well, let me tell you what's going on in this generation. I'm watching teenagers in this house worship the Lord. I'm watching teenagers in this house invest in one another. I'm watching teenagers in this house get serious about what God put me on this planet to do and trying to develop themselves. That's what I'm seeing, and I need you to believe in some of these people too. But you teenagers, you know, same way. What do those old people got to tell me? They don't know how things are now. They don't know how things are nowadays. Well, they lived in the old times, you know, 2010. I said, things have changed. <laughs> we don't know the exact ages of Paul and Onesimus, but I do know that Paul was very late in life when he wrote this book, and I'm assuming that Onesimus was a relatively young man, but it did not stop them from believing in each other. We've got to get over those kind of things if we're going to be effective at this stuff, verse 10 of Philemon 1, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Hear me, guys. Um, the Bible is filled with those kind of stories. I mean, it's just packed with those relationships. You've got, you got Jethro investing in his son-in-law Moses. You've got Moses investing in Joshua and Caleb. You've you got uh, Naomi mentoring Ruth. You've got Paul had a, a host of sons in the gospel. I mean, it's just you see those stories over and over and over again. I think about my young days, just starting out. I was 18 when I went to see my pastor. And I said, how do you know if you're called to preach? And after we talked for a couple hours, he looked at me and said, well, you know what, Jim, I believe in you. Preach for us Sunday. And I went, <coughs> sucked all the oxygen out of the room. I said, tell you what, give me, give me a little time, and can we do a Wednesday night first? And so he gave me three weeks and a Wednesday night, and I preached. And afterwards, he brought me in the back, and he sat me down, and he gave me constructive feedback and, and wisdom on that message. And, uh, and, and on the way out of church that, uh, that evening, Miss Macy Carlisle, who was the the widow of the founder of our church came to me. She shook my hand and she said, Jim, you're going to make a fine preacher someday. <laughs> I don't know if she meant to emphasize Sunday, someday if that's all I heard, but she spoke life into me in that moment. Now, I'm not saying I'm one of the greats, but I am telling you that whatever I am and whatever I have, it's because some people believed in me before there was anything to believe in. 
Of course, Jesus was the best at that. You talking about getting this one? I mean, he believed in people just like you and and me. Think about it. I mean, who did Jesus call? Think about his disciples. Who did he call? He called uneducated fishermen. He called a dishonest tax collector. He called a prostitute. He called a doctor. He called uh, two hot-headed activists. I mean, he, ca- he called ordinary people from every walk of life and background. Most of them didn't have a clue, and they didn't have anything to offer him. But Jesus didn't just see them for who they were. He saw them for who they were could become, and he invested in them until they became the group of people that changed the world. Do you know who Jesus didn't call? He didn't call a single Pharisee or Sadducee or scribe or anybody who thought they already had their act together, had all the answers, arrogantly believed that they had arrived. He didn't call none of them i got to tell you, it's one of the things I love about our church is we don't care. Maybe some of you are here for the first time or you've just gotten started here. You get a sense of who we are. We really don't care where you've come from. Can I get an amen in the room? We don't care how far you've come in your spiritual journey. Can I get an amen in the room? All we care about is the direction of your feet from this point forward. We're just here to help. Come on. That's right. <laughs> the question is, Not just we as a body, but you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Who has God called you to believe in? Who are you investing in? Who are you pouring the life that you found in Christ into? It may be somebody sitting right down the row from you right now who desperately needs you to give that to them. Hear me, guys, this call for parents is not just theoretical. It's not just philosophical. It's one of the great needs, not just in the American church, but right here in the bridge. The constant cry for more people to invest in the bridge kids' ministries, for people to get involved in the student ministries, for people to become bridge group leaders. Those calls are profound. The needs are huge. And God's calling some of you to step up. And start believing in some people and start giving away what you found in Jesus Christ. I believe it with everything in me. I believe we're on the verge of a breakthrough as a church. And this is going to be the breakthrough. More and more of us stepping up into that role. In fact, it's on my heart. We're going to start a whole discipleship process, a whole growth track kind of thing uh, in, the, in 2020. Uh, and we're going to start uh, systematically training our people to understand what does the Bible say? What are the implications of the Bible in their lives? What is the role of the Holy Spirit in their lives? We're going to start training our people in a discipleship process. But the only way that's going to happen is if some mamas and daddies step up and say, I'll be a part of that. I want to help be a part of that, and as the fall comes on, you'll hear more and more about that thing. Bottom line is the need for spiritual mamas and daddies is not just an American need, not just a world need. It's a Wayne County Bridge Church need. Fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who have moved beyond what do I need all the way to who needs my help. If you want to leave a legacy of transformed lives, you got to do what? You got to connect with the Father's heart. Then you got to get confident in Christ. Then you got to give that confidence 
away. And I know some of you are sitting here thinking right now, Jim, I hear you. I hear you. I got it. Okay. I, it makes sense to me. I, and I would love to lead a group. Man, I would love to, to get involved in Bridge Kids. I'd love to get involved in students. I'd probably have a blast over there. I'd have a great time. I'd love to teach one of those discipleship classes. Man, I'd love to mentor somebody. It's just not a good time. I just, I just don't have time. I'm just kind of busy right now. Pastor Farrell and I, most of you know Pastor Farrell and I have been close friends for many, many years. And uh, just a few years ago, he and I were coaching a group of pastors, and, and we got into a conversation. I don't remember who initiated it, but we got into a conversation about uh, finding the time to do this stuff. And Farrell said, you know, we, we, the need is there. How can we ignore it? And I said, yeah. And if we wait until we have time to do it, they won't care what we have to say. We have to do it while we're in the throes of it so that they're listening. So let me, under, let me make sure you understand. The third lesson from this little book of Philemon is not only connect with the father's heart and believe in somebody, it's pay the price to be a mom and dad. Does it cost to have babies? I mean, in the natural, does it cost to have babies? Yeah, for the first few weeks, the first few months, the first few years, for the rest of your life. <laughs> And then the grandbabies come along, and it costs again. I mean, I'm vividly aware that we're talking about costs. Very soon after my experience with Pastor Bill Ellis and Miss Macy Carlisle and that first experience, my father passed away. And I was 19 years old, and Dr. Herbert Carter, who was general superintendent of the Pentecostal Free Will Baptist denomination, came and did my father's funeral and I went to him boldly, naively, arrogantly maybe, I don't know, and I walked up and said, you're my spiritual father now. Here's this young stupid kid from Bladenboro telling the superintendent of the denomination, you're my spiritual dad now. And he turned to me and, and he said, and those of you that know Dr. Carter, he's one of those God voices, he said, I accept. And every time I called him, Every time I called him, and I did over the next several years, sir, might I have audience with you? That's what I'd say because I love the way he talked. He'd, he'd say, tell me when. I'd walk into his office. He'd reach up and turn his computer monitor off and turn and face me, and he'd listen to me pour it out, and he'd give me wisdom. And sometimes it was challenging, and sometimes it was encouraging, but he always listened and heard and spoke into my life. Dr. Carter struggles in his late years with dementia, but I wouldn't be here without him having paid the price. I actually went back to him just a few years ago and said, sir, I know you. I owe you an incredible apology. And he said, whatever for? I said, it never dawned on me in those young years that you were probably in the middle of preparing for a sermon you were going to preach that night or a lesson you were going to teach the next morning, but you never let on to me that you were busy. You just turned and faced me and listened. And I'm sorry that I took advantage of you. He said, you took no advantage to me of me. I gave you that time. Does it cost? Yeah. Does it pay? Sure. But I don't just mean in terms of time. I understand the magnitude of the risk that Paul took for this runaway thieving slave. Verse 18 and 19. Paul wrote to Philemon, if he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. 
I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. You understand what he's doing? He's putting his reputation on the line. He's putting his finances on the line. He's putting his very relationship with Philemon on the line for a thieving runaway slave. When was the last time you took a risk for somebody like that? Others didn't see the potential in that person, but you did. And you wanted others to see that potential too. Again, most of us are where we are because somebody did that for us somewhere along the way. So who are you giving that kind of support to? Who are you seeing through the lens of who they might become one day? The fact is all of us have been impacted by the legacies left to us and, uh, and we'll leave a legacy behind for us. Any, anybody here uh, ever impacted by the life of Billy Graham? Anybody here directly or indirectly impacted by Billy's life? The message of his life, the integrity of his life, the longevity of that integrity of his life, every one of our lives have been impacted by it. His influence on presidents over the years. Every one of us, our lives have been impacted by this amazing man who just recently went to be with the Lord at, I think, 95 years old. Uh, any idea who impacted his life? Actually, ran across this the other day. We got a picture. Billy came to Christ in a Mordecai ham revival. Mordecai Ham came to Christ at a Billy Sunday service. Billy Sunday came to Jesus under the ministry of Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman came to Jesus under F.B. Meyer's teachings, who came to Christ under the teachings of D.L. Moody. Some of you perhaps have heard of Moody, the Moody Bible Institute. Who led Moody to the Lord? Anybody know who Edward Kimball is? He was Moody's Sunday school teacher. We have no idea the legacy that we leave, the potential that comes simply because we invested in somebody before anybody else saw anything else in them. And then, of course, Billy led Franklin and Annie Graham Lotz to the Lord who've led William to the Lord, and the Graham legacy goes on. Who knows how many millions of people would have never met Jesus but for that Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball. Come on. Every great legacy owes a debt of gratitude to somebody somewhere who connected with the Father's heart believed in them, paid the price, which leads us to the fourth lesson from our little book, created a chain reaction of transformation. I've actually been dying for three weeks to tell you this story. The Bible doesn't really tell us what happened to Onesimus after he went to Philemon's house. So you can imagine the picture. He's under uh, he's gotten a warrant out for his arrest, potential execution. He goes back to Philemon's house. He's carrying this letter that Paul hand wrote. He knocks on the door. Philemon comes to the door, and he goes, here, read this before you say anything. We don't know what happened. We, we really don't know from Scripture, but there's a lot in first century history, Jewish history, that tells us these things. The prevailing theory <coughs> comes from Ignatius, who was 
the patriarch of Antioch and, and one of the great historians of the first century, he wrote in his writings that the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus, became the most influential church of its time. The church at Ephesus uh, was, under the, was in the shadow of the temple of Diana, who was the goddess of perversion in those days. Unspeakable sin happened there in the name of, of worshiping this goddess Diana. Tourists came from all over the world to worship at the altars of the perversion of this goddess Diana. The slogan of the temple of Diana is what happens at Diana stays at Diana. Are you getting the picture? And this church, the church at Ephesus, reached so many people for Jesus, they closed the temple down. That's a church. That's influence. Want to guess what the pastor's name was? Onesimus. Was he our Onesimus? We don't know for sure. Historians seem to believe that he was. Ignatius wrote it this way. He said, Pastor Onesimus, you were formerly useless, but now you are useful. A runaway slave who had a spiritual father who connected with the heart of the father, believed in him, paid the price to invest in him, and reaped a legacy of changed lives. And here we are 2,000 years later still talking about them. Hear me, i got to close, but there are people all around you who are still in the formally stage of their lives. They're simply waiting for somebody to do for them what Paul did for Onesimus. There's no doubt. I am where I am doing what I'm doing. I am who I am because men better than me believed in me and invested in me and sacrificed for me. It's hard to, I see what time it is. I'm going to hush, I promise. Um, it's hard to come to this season of my life and not think about legacy a lot. It's hard for me to, to accept the responsibility to lead this great church at this season of my life and not think about what legacy am I going to leave when that day comes. Can I tell you what I hope it is? Do I want this church to grow? Sure I do. Do I want more people to come to Jesus? You better believe it. Do I want us to plant churches all around this region and all around this world? Somebody say yes, quick. But what I, what I want more than anything else is for an army of spiritual moms and dads to rise up from this house who sees their highest calling in life is not what am I going to get from the Lord, but how can I give away what I found in him to somebody who's still in the formerly stage of their lives and they're ready for the but now stage. Are you one of those people? Some of you already are. More and more of you will be. Ah, 
I hear you, Pastor. I hear you. I gotta get this. But you know, uh, you know, I've tried this kind of stuff, and people let you down. I know. I know. Jesus recruited twelve, graduated eleven. It's reality. But he's our role model, and here's what the scriptures say about him. Romans 5, 8, and I'll hush. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still in the formerly stage of our lives, he died for us. He paid the price. The question is, will we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul and the role model that he is for us. Thank you for Onesimus and the role model that he became for thousands. The life change that happened because a spiritual dad invested in a spiritual son and took a risk, paid the price, and you worked in both of them to accomplish your will and your way. Thank you for the spiritual moms and dads in this house who every day, every week, every month, every year are investing in others. Behind the scenes, their names are never going to be on the big screen. They're never going to be in lights, but you know. You know the life change is coming, and the people they're investing in know. Even sometimes when they pretend they don't want it because they're scared, you know, they know. I pray blessing over them, and I pray that you would raise up an army of moms and dads in this house, in this region, in this world. Get it. Transformation is not about what I receive as much as it is what I can give away in Christ because that's what he did for me. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm just... I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. Simple prayer, but a powerful one. Two parts. Part number one, Lord, help me to get that heart. Help me to get your heart. Help me to connect with your heart. Help me to understand how much you love me when I get it right and when I get it wrong. Help me to learn to rest in your grace and be confident in who I am because of who you are and whose I am. Father, you know the people that are praying that prayer across this room right now. Would you help them to sense your love, recognize your grace, let it wash over them? Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like that before. Maybe this is the first time you've ever said, I want to know I want to be loved by God. Lord, would you make yourself real to them in this moment? Help them to know how much you love them. Then part two of the prayer, Lord, help me to give it away, to pay the price, to do whatever it is that needs to be done so that this isn't just about me. It's about the Onesimuses that you put in my life. Help me to be the spiritual mom, the spiritual dad you called me to be, the leader, the influencer that you've given me the potential to be. Change lives for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would you stand with me this morning? The altars are open. Our altar workers are coming. They're going to be here. If you want to pray with somebody before you leave here today, take advantage of that opportunity. Whatever is going on in your life, we'd love to minister to you in that way, help you in that kind of way. Uh, Let us help you with that. Please, first-time guests, fill out a Connect card. Stop by the VIP table. We really want to treat you like a VIP. We want to put a gift in your hand. Thank you for coming. All of you, would you fill out a Connect card? If you prayed that prayer, would you do me the honor of saying I prayed? Just write on your card somewhere, I prayed. Uh, You can distinguish which prayer. You can just say I prayed, but let me know so I can pray for you this week. The ushers will be at the door. You can drop your Connect card in the basket as you walk by on your way out. But let me know how I can pray for you this week. Would you do that? Do your heads like this. Thank you so much. Father, take us from this place. Use us for your glory and accomplish your will and your way through us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.